This episode is supported by Jace Medical. You may or may not know that in December, drug shortages across the U.S. hit a record high. This is causing severe disruptions in medical treatments, resulting in delays, treatment cancellations, and the unfortunate rationing of vital medications. I know that I have heard in the last few months from multiple mom friends of mine, instances where they have not been able to get medications for themselves or for their children in critical crisis moments. This is so, so scary. I know I've had friends with their kids having seasonal flu cold symptoms, struggling to breathe, and they're at urgent care and unable to get the antibiotics that they need because of these shortages. This is scary stuff. Most notably, one of the short supply antibiotics is amoxicillin, which is commonly used for so many of our children's illnesses. So here's where Jace Medical comes in. They have the Jace case, which is a personalized emergency medication kit that contains five essential antibiotics that are used for the most common common and deadly bacterial infections. And you can also customize your case and add additional life-saving medications based on your or your children's family's unique needs, like an EpiPen, for example, something that you would never want to be without, would never want to have to run from pharmacy to pharmacy in pursuit of. So if you want to go get these medications and have your antibiotics on supply so that you always have them when you need them in case of an emergency, in case of a disaster, in case of being a, you know, a victim of this drug shortage, Jace Medical will have you covered. All you need to do is go to jacemedical.com and enter the code SHAMELESS at checkout for a discount on your order. That's promo code SHAMELESS at jacemedical, J-A-S-E medical.com, jacemedical.com, code SHAMELESS. This is the Shameless Mom Academy, episode 240 with Debbie Reber. Show notes for this episode and all links mentioned in the episode, including links mentioned to discounts from our sponsors can be found by going to shamelessmom.com and clicking on episode 240. Welcome to the Shameless Mom Academy. I'm your host, Sarah Dean. I'm here to give you and other passionate, driven, unapologetic moms tools, resources, and a little bit of humor to help you lead more positive, powerful, and purposeful lives every damn day. One of the best things about the Shameless Mom Academy is our community. So be sure to join us in our free private Facebook group to connect with other shameless moms just like you. You can find us over at shamelessmom.com forward slash Facebook. All right, let's dive into today's episode. Debbie Reber is a New York Times bestselling author, coach, and the founder of Tilt Parenting, a podcast and online community for parents raising differently wired children. Debbie's podcast has over 300,000 downloads, and on it, she interviews high-profile thought leaders in parenting and education. Debbie's new book is Differently Wired, Raising an Exceptional Child in a Conventional World. Prior to launching Tilt Parenting, Debbie spent 15 years writing inspiring books for teen girls. As a teen girl authority, she frequently spoke about self-esteem and confidence. In 2013, Debbie and her family moved from Seattle to Amsterdam, where she currently writes and homeschools her 13-year-old, differently wired son, Asher. I will tell you that I rarely read a book cover to cover before interviewing my guests, but I found Differently Wired to be such an essential read. I read every damn page of it. Whether your child is differently wired or not, you will find comfort and wisdom in Debbie's stories and expertise. If you are parenting a differently wired child, Debbie's work will be an invaluable resource. If you are in a community with differently wired kids, and I promise you, you are, whether you know it or not. You will learn how they see the world and how you might best be able to support them and their families. If you are parenting a neurotypical child, you will still find a ton of parenting support throughout this book. I dog-eared page after page, and I cannot recommend this book highly enough. So listen in to hear Debbie share how so many kids fall under the umbrella of Differently Wired and why being differently wired provides many gifts and opportunities that we don't always recognize. How to parent from possibility instead of fear. How to introduce your child based on their strengths, not their struggles. How to manage the parenting comparison trap and all those families with picture-perfect vacation photos on social media. How to use your loud and unapologetic voice when it comes to being an advocate for your child. So I am so honored to have Debbie back on the show. This is her second time, and I cannot encourage you enough to go out and get this book. I am gifting it to a ton of people who some have differently wired children, some don't, some work with differently wired children, and some are just moms. And we all want to do better for our kids, and we want to do better for the kids in our communities. And this is an amazing, amazing resource. So without further ado, let's dive in with Debbie Reber. Debbie, welcome back to the Shameless Mom Academy. I'm really, really excited to have you here today. 
I'm so happy to be back. Thanks, Sarah. You get to be in a very small club of people who get to come back a second time. So I'm delighted to have you here. (laughs) That's awesome. Thank you. I always tell people, I'm like, well, when you write a book or whatever, like, let me know and you can come back on the show. So like, I think you're the third person to do that. So to anyone else listening, if you want to write a book and come on the show. <laughs> like, hello, remember me? Right, I, right. yeah. I love it. And I will say, I get a lot of authors come on and a lot of obviously people who write really amazing works and books that are so applicable to my audience, but I rarely have the opportunity to read a book cover to cover for just a variety of reasons. But this is one I read your book differently wired from cover to cover. And I think it's a must read for all parents. It is so good. So I'm so excited for the work that you've put out. It's so amazing. But I also know the impact that it's going to have will be huge. Thank you so much. That means so much to hear you say that. Yeah, it's going to be really special. So before we dive into the book, I want you to tell us a little bit about the dynamics of your personal and professional life beyond your bio. And what are you most excited about right now? Wow, that is such an interesting question. I think the beyond my bio, kind of my personal and professional life is very interrelated right now. Yes. In that (laughs) I work more than full time, you know, doing my Tilt Parenting podcast and doing all kinds of work surrounding the book. But I'm also full time homeschooling mama to my Differently Wired now teenager, my teenage son, Asher, who's 13. And then also just kind of trying to learn Dutch, which I'm still, you know, we moved to the Netherlands four and a half years ago. And that is one of my goals is to become fluent in Dutch. So juggling my work, and the homeschooling and, and then just being a mom and all those pieces. It's kind of a full load. And yes, it's an exciting full load. I wouldn't have it any other way. But there's a lot of juggling with my husband and a lot of weekends that I head out and do my thing. And let the boys do their thing. And I have my weekend work time, which is my favorite, actually one of my (laughs) favorite times of the week, if I'm being honest. I feel the same about working on the weekend sometimes. Like it feels so much more like it's on my terms. Like I don't have to be responsible to email. And it's often I'll do it when my husband and son are out of the house. So it just feels like, I don't know, it's like working with freedom or something that's different than the confines of the normal work week. Yeah, totally. And I choose a different cafe and So for me, it's like I'm just having a solo date at a different cafe. You know, I get myself a mocha and get a little corner spot where there's a plug nearby. And I really feel like I'm treating myself. I love that. I love that. You talk about different ways that you treat yourself in the book, which I think is applicable to any woman, any mother. And one of the things I noticed in Finishing Differently Wired is we'll dive into the specificity around differently wired kids. But I also think that the book for moms transcends some of what you maybe set out for the book to be about, because it's applicable for all parents in terms of self-care, in terms of like advocacy related to your kids, whether it's about your kid being differently wired or about anything else related to your kid. I mean, at our house, we're talking right now a lot about like good touch, bad touch, and those kinds of things with my five-year-old. And it was so many things were just reminders of being an advocate for your kid and having challenging conversations and not being shy about certain things. And you talk about that in so many different contexts. So I love the example you just gave about going to a cafe and getting cozy in your corner and doing your thing. And like, it's the weekend, but you're loving diving into work. And that's what fuels you. And I think that's a great example of just like shamelessly caring for yourself on your terms. Absolutely. Shameless self-interest. That's what it's all about. (laughs) Yes. Yes. So tell us how your own parenting experience inspired you to write Differently Wired and tell us a little bit about where the book starts. I think I knew when Asher was maybe two that I would be writing this book at some point. You know, I've written a number of books for teen girls, self-help books, and my agent has been my agent for gosh, 18 years. And so she's followed my journey with Asher. And she always said, yeah, you're going to write about this, but not yet. Not yet. Mm -hmm. You know, as I would meet her once a year over lunch in New York, and we would discuss projects. But you know, I'm raising an incredibly fascinating human being who is what I describe as differently wired, but he's neurologically atypical. And, you know, over the years, as we discovered, kind of, that this is not going to be the journey we thought this was going to be. And I was constantly being challenged to just to kind of confront my own issues and more fully lean into 
you know, the path that we were on instead of trying to get us back on this other path I really wanted to be on. And, you know, that kind of struggle back and forth, it became clear that that's what ultimately I wanted to write about. Because when you're in kind of the really difficult years, and it can be many years when you're just discovering, you know, that this is different, and this isn't going to go the way I thought, and education is going to be tough to find a fit. And what do I do? How do I support this child? You know, there's a lot that we go through as parents, and it's a pretty lonely overwhelming journey. And I felt so strongly about helping other parents who were in that same situation, you know, just have more tools and also know that they're not alone, know that rather they're part of a huge community. I mean, there are so many parents like me everywhere. So that was kind of the initial impetus. I actually thought this was going to be an inspirational memoir. And that's, you know, for about a year before I even launched Tilt Parenting, I was kind of just writing essays and just kind of wrapping my head around it. And over time, as I developed Tilt Parenting and really got even more connected with my community, I realized it needed to be more of a manifesto. And so I switched gears and that's how I moved forward. And Tilt Parenting is the name of your podcast. And then you have a website that supports that as well that has all sorts of resources for parents. Is that correct? Yeah, it's primarily a podcast. That's the main way that I bring resources and information to my people. But, (laughs) you know, we have a pretty active Facebook group too, and a really nice community from all over the world. And it's pretty exciting to see. Yeah. One of the things I love so much about the book, and I think this is what, like, I just wanted the stories were so fascinating. And you use tons of examples of moms from your community and their personal stories with their children, their families, and all sorts of different struggles and triumphs that they've had. So there's that piece of it. Actually, I was also blown away by how many names I recognized in the book, different people that I know from the podcasting community and colleagues just from like online businesses and things. So there's so many great resources in the book, but so many stories that are relatable in many, many ways. And so to give people a little bit of a glimpse into your background, can you explain Asher's diagnoses and then maybe what else might kind of fall under that umbrella of differently wired that might relate to other families listening? Sure. Yeah. So in terms of, you know, what we went through with Asher, we knew from the time he was really young that he was very bright. You know, he was a very precocious kid and the kid who was like having really chatty, you know, interesting conversations when he was like 18 months old with people and like, well, that's really cool. And, uh, (laughs) you know, but at the same time, he was also that kid who was really just intense. He could never really settle and everything seemed kind of bigger with him. It was just kind of more, right? Like more tantrums, more this, more that. And so we're like, okay, he's a spirited kid, got it. And then, you know, as we moved on with preschool and had a little trouble finding the right fit there and, you know, started noticing this really just intensity with some anger issues and getting a lot of notes home, phone calls for pickups from preschool and got the suggestion that we get some support for like anger management, which when you're four, it's a little tricky, you know, it's hard to learn how to regulate your emotions at four. Most adults I know don't do such a great job of it. So we kind of went through a number of things. We tried some therapies. We discovered that he had some sensory processing issues when he was about five. So I thought, okay, this is what's going on. Now we know, good, we're going to work on that. We'll be good to go. But then there was still some other things. And we got the suggestion from friends and people with education backgrounds that we might want to do a more thorough assessment. So we, I think it was right before he started kindergarten, we had him assessed, like a diagnostic assessment. And they gave him a provisional diagnosis of ADHD and something called pervasive developmental disorder, not otherwise specified. People may know it as PDDNOS which is kind of a catch-all for there are some autistic traits here, but we're not really sure. So that's what we had for a couple years. And then the spring of second grade, when he was eight, we did another diagnostic assessment, at which point we got an Asperger's diagnosis and also ADHD. And there was also some disruptive behavioral disorder thing thrown in there, which I was like, okay, I can't deal with that right now. (laughs) 
I'm living that. I don't, that's not helpful. So, you know, (laughs) it was a really interesting time to be getting all this information, some of which really seemed to fit and some of which didn't really resonate. And at the end of the day, you know, I wasn't so concerned with the diagnosis as I was with, you know, what does he need? Like, how are we going to figure out how to support this person and find a school for him and, you know, figure out all these pieces? It was very overwhelming to get that information and then not have someone say, here's what you do, you know, and give me this nice binder. I I wanted a binder. (laughs) Just go to chapter three, paragraph (laughs) two. (laughs) It did not exist. You know, that was again, when he was eight. And it's even since then, it's just been a long journey of kind of trying different things. And, but more than that, like, really getting to know who he is, you know, as a person, and look beyond the behaviors, you know, the the things that are considered disruptive into more just figuring out who he is, how he moves through the world and what he needs. Mm-hmm. Right. As I was reading the book, I thought, so I have a couple girlfriends who immediately, even before I read the book, I was like, I think this might be a really good resource for them because they've had some of these struggles that you've had around finding a school that's right and going through some of the diagnostic stuff, and which is really overwhelming and terrifying. And because mm-hmm. as parents, you want to like, immediately, you're just like, where's the chapter on that? And how do I fix it? And so I thought right away of a handful of people who I was like, oh, I think that this book might be a really good resource for them. And then as I read, I was like, oh my gosh. And then like more and more people started coming to mind. And I started realizing, I was like, I probably have six close girlfriends who really have kids who fall under this category of differently wired. And you talk at length about the pervasiveness of this and really that like differently wired kids are essentially the new norm because it does at least 20% of all kids are differently wired. And that's probably a conservative estimate, would you say? Hey there, I'm Debbie Reber, the founder of Tilt Parenting and the author of the book, Differently Wired. The mission of Tilt is to change the way neurodivergence, whether that's having a learning disability, having ADHD, being gifted, autistic, or some combination of all of the above, is perceived and experienced so differently wired kids and the parents like us raising them can truly thrive. On the Tilt Parenting Podcast, I get to talk with authors, therapists, educators, and parenting experts who are committed to this mission. I ask the questions my listeners are most curious about when it comes to supporting our kids. And in turn, my guests share strategies for challenges, out-of-the-box ideas for navigating school, best practices for therapies, tips for advocating, and so many thoughtful insights on what it really takes to help our kids grow up feeling seen and respected so they can create awesome lives for themselves. I know that raising a differently wired kid can feel overwhelming and isolating, but I promise you, you are not alone and it can feel so much better. If you're on this parenting journey, come listen to Tilt Parenting. Together, we can shift this paradigm and show up for our exceptional kids with hope, possibility, and joy. Oh, hey, everybody. It's us, Blair and Molly, your old pals from Toddler Purgatory, two moms who are also actors, who are also creative beings, who sometimes feel stuck. And now we're back with a whole new podcast about unsticking it launching in January. What happens when life gets in the way of our creativity instead of nourishing it? We talk to all sorts of guests about how to break through the mucky, gluey, sticky wall that can get between you and your creativity. We hear about their journeys, their successes, their challenges, and even their bougie coffee shop orders. So join us, won't you, as we deep dive into how to unstick ourselves from the life gunk that can get in the way of our creative freedom. Get out of there, life gunk. Let us help you get back to your best creative self. Look for Unsticking It with Blair and Molly. Wherever you listen to podcasts starting in January, Unsticking It with Blair and Molly. Because sometimes life sucks. Unsticking it. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And that's how I I felt in reading this. I was like, maybe it's more like 50% because I just kept thinking of more and more people (laughs) and more and more kids where I was like, and sometimes it can be really big, obvious things. And sometimes it's just little subtle things. Yeah. I mean, and to answer, I realized I didn't answer your question in terms of what this really includes that, you know, and this is probably why it's so hard to have true numbers. So when I look at differently wired and the way I use that term or someone who's neurodiverse is, you know, it's, kids who are gifted, right? Being gifted is in its own right, a special need because your brain processes information differently yeah. and handles emotional things differently. It's different. You have different yes. needs yes. than, than quote unquote, 
you know, a typical experience. So we have that, which already there, we're talking at least 5% of kids. Mm -hmm. Then there are things like ADHD, ADD, which five to 10% conservative estimate. Mm -hmm. Then there are learning differences like dyslexia and dysgraphia and dyscalculia and all the different ways that that shows up. There are executive functioning issues, which is something I think people are getting more and more or becoming more and more aware of and what that shows up with. But it is, you know, just a host of different kind of command central and your brain challenges, you know, Mm -hmm. in getting through day to day life. There are sensory processing issues, which often shows up in correlation or in connection with other diagnoses, but it can also be its own thing. There's highly sensitive kids who are just a little bit more attuned to everything that they're experiencing. Mm -hmm. There's anxiety disorders, which is, you know, as we are reading more and more, is something that is showing up, especially middle school and high school kids. And then there's, we haven't even mentioned autism spectrum disorder. So, you know, there are so many ways that you can be wired differently. And I think, you know, you're 50%, I would have to say, yeah, I mean, we don't have the numbers to be able to say that. And again, Mm -hmm. so many things show up in multiples, right? So my kid has three to four things going on, and that's not unusual. But I think, you know, I get letters from parents all the time who listen to the podcast and who say, you know, my child doesn't have any diagnosis, but, you know, they're overly perfectionistic. And, you know, this aspect of school is can completely throw them off. Or, you know, it's people who are, they're attuned a little differently. You know, there's something about the way that their brain, you know, operates or the way they show up in the world that makes some aspects of life more challenging. Right. I think that's probably why I got to the point in the book where I was like, I think every parent needs this because I think that because in all those different areas that you just addressed, most kids fit into one of those at some point in their life in some way. And I know that like we went through, I was dying when you were talking about your experience with PEPS, which is a parenting group for parents of newborns here in Seattle because we were the family in our peps group that had our child scream through every single meeting. And one of my husband or I always like had to take him into a bedroom and rock (sighs) him. And if it was me, like I would just be sweating the whole time because I was so uncomfortable and nervous that my Mm. baby was screaming through the whole entire meeting again. And you talk about some of your experiences there, like with your child, you know, being different than some of the other kids in that experience. And you start making those comparisons really early on. Like, why is my kid the only one screaming for an hour every Tuesday when we meet? Yeah. Yep. So I think that what was so relatable about the book is that I could see different levels of so many kids that I know represented in the book and whether or not it is extreme is something that's diagnostic and their needs maybe need to be met differently in a classroom. Maybe, maybe not, but you could just see like, oh my gosh, at some point my kid's probably going to struggle with anxiety on some level. And these are really great pointers on how to navigate that. And I mean, you talk so beautifully about like being curious with your kids and instead of being confrontational, even when you're feeling frustrated and different ways to like, you know, channel your patience when the last thing you're feeling is patient. And those are just relatable parenting moments. Yeah. Yeah. So I appreciated so much of that. I'm wondering, who did you specifically think of when you were writing the book? And who were you most wanting to help and support? Did you have a certain population of parents or kids in mind? Yeah, I mean, I had kind of two, all right, maybe three goals for the book. So (laughs) You know, my core audience, you know, ultimately, I was thinking that I wanted to support parents who just feel like in some way their kid isn't thriving. They're not, you know, in some area of their life, emotionally, academically, or not fitting in to some aspect. So I want those parents to feel, first of all, in choice and to feel empowered and confident instead of as if they don't have a lot of options And that this is something, you know, that their journey with their child is something they just have to push through, right? We just need to get this kid through school and, you know, and make compromises along the way. No, you know, I really want parents to recognize the gifts that come with who our kids are and to know that all these things that make them different are really just variations of the human experience. There's nothing wrong with who your child is. So I really it's shifting that paradigm. And I'm hoping that that's really empowering for parents like me 
to know that they actually get to be in control of how this plays out and how they can feel in their daily life instead of, you know, like this happened to me or, you know, this is something we have to fix that. No, actually, this is something we're experiencing and it's pretty, you know, it has its challenges as does any parenting journey, Mm -hmm. but it's actually can be pretty amazing. So that's my core audience. But I did really write it hoping that educators would read it and that parents of neurotypical kids would read it as well, because I believe that we are at a sea change. Like, I think we're at a tipping point where there is no such thing as normal anymore. And I really want to see these unique humans, these exceptional kids better supported, be tolerated, be seen for who they are. And it's really going to take all of us to do that. Like, I think parents like me are in a great position Mm -hmm. to change things. But we all have to get involved because this impacts all of us. You know, so many of these kids, their gifts are incredible. And in terms of just the way they problem solve, or, you know, just can kind of look at things and their contributions they could make to the future of the world. You know, I am talking big, but I believe this is all true, you know? Yes, totally. We lose out if these kids don't thrive or get to reach their full potential. Everybody loses. Right. You made a really great point that hit home for me. And I actually shared it with a girlfriend of mine who has a differently wired son. And you talked about your experience, which you mentioned is probably a pretty common experience of parents of differently wired children of watching other families on social media and falling into this kind of comparison trap of, you know, a family posts this like magical picture of their, you know, maybe it's their kid at Disneyland. And then the parent of the differently wired child thinks like, we could never have that family photo because my kid couldn't handle that. Like, that's not something that we can do. And that struck me because I, on social media, am often triggered because of our experiences with infertility. I'm often triggered by like pregnancy announcements or sibling posts where it's like, oh, look at, you know, the three-year-old holding the brand new baby. It's just so magical. It's everything I ever dreamed of. And I'm like, oh, that's great. (laughs) And so like you see those things and you're like, oh, damn them. You know, even if it's people you really care about and you really love. And I was sharing that with my girlfriend who has a differently wired son. And she said, oh my gosh, I totally get that. She's like, I mean, she's just not super active on social media, but one of the things she said is like, I don't want to post pictures of my stuff. It's like, it's hard to get my kid to sit in a picture for, you know, still for 10 seconds, let alone smile, let alone like all those things. And she's like, you know, when you see other people's picture perfect images of their vacations and everything, it's just kind of this reminder of, you know, the things that might not feel possible for our family right now. So I love how you flip that. And I mean, when I follow you on social media and I comment to this in this regard, sometimes that you flip that and you're like, okay, so what can we do with these gifts that we do have and that Asher has? And what kind of a life can we live from possibility? And your pictures as a result, it's like you guys all over Europe doing (laughs) amazing bike rides through the canals in Amsterdam. And I'm like, oh my gosh, this is so cool. So I love and appreciate that, that perspective of getting out of that comparison trap. And can you speak a little bit to that and how you've managed that and how you support other parents through that? Yeah, I think Facebook is so dangerous. And it is like I'm addicted to Facebook. So I'm not one of those parents who's opting out, I will look at all the pictures, and I still will get triggered, especially, you know, I think many parents will relate to this just, you know, May, June graduation season, and, you know, the awards and my student was, you know, this best student of the year here, you know, all these things are calm or like, there's just so many things. And it really does. I think posts like that do really tap into all your fears and insecurities and the what ifs, like, what is this going to look like? I can't imagine this will ever happen for my child. And what does that mean? And, you know, it's just a spiral, this out of control spiral. And, you know, that still happens to me. But in terms of what I do on social media, I try to portray a pretty honest portrayal of the highs and the lows. You know, I think it's important to, to just kind of be real and vulnerable. That's just my own choice. But I think it's important to show the good and the bad. And I just have to say, 
about the biking through the canals in Amsterdam that my son and I had a bike accident today. We're oh, both no. like, <laughs> I'm like, well, I should be posting this on social media because we, our handlebars, we were biking side by side in the rain to oh, meet no. friends for lunch and our handlebars got entangled and we oh. wiped out and it was ugly. Like his bike isn't even bikeable right now. It's like parked oh. down by the museum. Anyway, <laughs> Just oh, keeping no. it real. Right, <laughs> right. And that's the thing is like for every beautiful canal photo, there is a bloody knee photo, you know? Yes. Oh, <laughs> exactly. Man. Exactly. So, yeah, you know, I think it's important to acknowledge those feelings too. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's okay. We all feel those things and just call it for what it is, you know, and recognize that that's what's going on and then just kind of move on from it. I think it's when people try to shove it down and don't acknowledge those comparison feelings and just kind of brush it off. That's not healthy. It's okay to feel those things. It's human, right? That's just kind of how we are, but just kind of acknowledge it and move on. Yeah. I actually pulled this quote from the book again, like I can relate to this in different areas of my life and in the context of differently wired kids, I was like, this makes so much sense that parents would live in this place and sometimes maybe forever. And I know that that's your dream is to get them out of it. So you said parents of differently wired kids exist in a liminal place between stark denial, CIA level secrecy and aggressive fix it mode. And like that sentence really stood out to me because that's a rough place to live. And I imagine a lot of times parents of differently wired kids live there for maybe their child's entire childhood, if not longer. So can you talk a little bit about that, what that's looked like for you, and then also how parents can start to, you know, work outside of that really difficult place? Yeah, I mean, it's so hard for me. I feel so bad when I find out that someone has this going on, you know, or is really struggling with their child in school or something, and they confide in me. And I realized I had no idea that any of that was going on. And they're not open about it. They won't talk to anybody. They don't want anyone to know about it. And that breaks my heart on so many levels, because not only is that parent suffering needlessly, it's just so loaded, right? Because there's shame involved there. There is fear that mm-hmm. if, you know, people know what's going on, then that means X, Y, and Z. So it's really basically operating in full like flight or fight mode as a parent. And then our kids know, right? Like right. they pick up on so much. And if we're being secret about things, or they hear us in hushed voices in the other room talking about what's going on, you know, they're going to feel like something's really wrong with me, because most of them already know something's different about them, because, you know, they're human, and they're living their lives, you know, they see what's going on. And that denial piece, too. I've talked with many families where, you know, one of the parents is kind of, you know, the one charging forward, and you know, this is going on, and we need support. And Sometimes one of the parents is just not seeing it. They're not willing to see it. Or there's a lot of, well, I, you know, when I was that age, I had this going on too. And, you know, it's fine. And so that denial place can delay, you know, getting support for a child or, you know, just kind of prolong suffering and hardship. In terms of how to shift things, I am a big, big advocate of, and I think this is important for us to shift this paradigm of speaking our truth and being open about what's going on in our lives. And even as I say that, like, I know there's so many people who feel like it's nobody's business. I don't want my child to be stigmatized. Labels matter. I don't want to share this information. You know, it's a very private thing. So I don't want anyone to feel like they have to do something. My own personal philosophy is that when we are open about what's happening, if we can all start to do that, the stigma can't stick around because stigma is only there because people aren't talking about things. And by not talking about things, we're perpetuating that it's a negative. And I don't see these things as negative. I see them as challenges. Sure. This isn't, it's not easy to get through school if you're distracted constantly and, you know, can't stay on task. That's a challenge. And it, you'll need tools to move past that, but you're not, broken or you're not Mm -hmm. sick, you know, so this is something I just feel so strongly about that it's so important, even if 
it's in our own families. We start just being open about things and normalizing it because it is normal, right? We just talk about this. This is what's going on. This is who we are. This is who my kid is. This is what we're doing. There's nothing wrong with it. Right, right. You talk about encouraging parents to be loud and unapologetic to their reality. And I think that that makes so much sense. And like you said, there's pieces of it that might be really private and also just depending on the nature of the parent, you know, like I always laugh, the things that I'm going to talk about on social media and on my podcast, I understand would make a lot of people really uncomfortable. And like just people who are more introverted are not going to shout from the rooftops every moment of hilarity or trauma and drama in their life. Like I might. So, Mm -hmm. but I totally agree with being as open as you can be and letting your kids see you do that. One of the tips that you gave in the book was developing a soundbite that reframes the way you introduce your child, emphasizing his or her strengths. Mm -hmm. Then I thought about, especially when we're among, when I'm among girlfriends and I don't blame them at all. And I think you need to have your safe place to vent and roll your eyes and like curse your situation if that is what you need that day. But I know a lot of times when you're among girlfriends and other adults, it's easy to fall into a place of like, well, my kid can't do this and he's awful at this. And you kind of start running down this like laundry list of like all the things that are overwhelming and frustrating and exhausting. And I love the idea of starting to lead with the positive because I really truly think, and I think this probably falls into your teaching around parenting from possibility instead of fear, that if we are consistently saying these things out loud, we hear ourselves say them and we reinforce the idea that we are building a foundation for our children from their strengths and our children will hear and see that as well. And one of the quotes in here that you had from Dr. Robin Silverman said, when we introduce our kids to start with the positive along the lines of my child, he's so incredibly curious. He has an explorer's brain. And when he's out and about in the world, he's the first to find things and he's the first to help you find something. He just has an eye for those things. And it's amazing. That's such a different way to introduce your kid to someone, especially in front of them than to be like, well, you know, Michael really has a hard time listening. And sometimes he doesn't have his listening ears on and he might not follow directions and like all those kinds of things. And like, call me if he's a problem, because I'll talk to, you know, like, yeah. And you can see, I can totally understand where it's easy to go to that place of like, you know, here's all the things you might have to deal with when you're with my kid. And that might be really hard and annoying, but it also that you can really reframe things in a different way. That's really powerful. Yeah, I think all parents do this, you know, we do tend to and and sometimes it's deflecting, right? Sometimes our kids are so awesome that we don't want other parents to think that we're all bragging on our child. So, you know, some parents like to just make sure other parents know that they have faults too, you know, you did you talked about uh, that with Asher's reading where you were like, do I tell everyone my kids reading chapter books when he's like three and a half? (laughs) Yeah, no, yeah, that didn't go over so well. But, uh, (laughs) but yeah, um, when Robin said that to me, I think I even realized that I was still doing that. Like I was still, whether it was just to give context for my personal situation or, you know, for whatever reason, I was so conditioned to start with, you know, well, this is hard. He does this, this and this like, and I was like, what am I doing? You know, why on earth would that be the lead of my introduction? You know, and something really clicked when we had that conversation and she said that. And I love the way that she phrased that. And yeah, there are so many strengths. And it really helped me just personally start to really just notice as much as I can, especially with differently wired kids who are getting so much reinforcement that they're bad, right? Mm -hmm. They get that message all the time in schools, you know, some more than others, but you're either behind, you're not doing good enough. This is a problem. My kid spent a lot of time in the hallway and or at the principal's office, you know, mm-hmm. so there's a lot of self negative speak that starts happening and they need so much more positive reinforcement. So imagine what would happen if every time you introduced a child, you started with, you know, just like Dr. Robin said, like, my kid is so curious, he will figure anything out. He's the most persistent human I know. Like, that's a great thing, you know? Yes, I love it. Yeah, I think that's so powerful. Another example you gave was about a conversation you were having with Asher when he was a little older. And he apologized for something and that you were like, you don't need to apologize. Like, I know that was an accident. And it's no big deal. And he referenced like, Oh, I'm just used to apologizing. Because when I was in school in a typical classroom, I always had to apologize because again, when you don't fit into the norms of the structure, 
you're just constantly being pointed out to you what you're doing wrong or you know where you kind of don't fit into these pretty narrow parameters. And I thought that was so powerful. And I started thinking about how impactful that must be over time for a child to constantly either feel the need to apologize or just constantly recognize like, oh, wait, we don't do it this way. We do it this way. And just have to remind yourself that like, you know, hundreds of times a day. Yeah, that broke my heart. I mean, I'll never forget that moment we had that conversation. And it makes me so sad still to think of it. And he still, you know, that was a couple of years ago now. And he still, by default, apologizes yeah. all the time, you know, and I'm like, you didn't do anything wrong. Like, I'm constantly up to say, no, you're all good. You're just trying this or this happened. But that stuff at a young age, right, to be continually feeling like you are doing something wrong. And sometimes it's other kids who are telling you you're doing things wrong, right? Because sometimes differently wired kids, they're not following the rules, or they're not picking up on the social cues. And so they are going to do things differently. And when you're in kindergarten, first, second grade, and you're learning how to follow the cues of a group, and then you've got these oddballs out here who are not doing that, (laughs) other kids are going to going to call them on it too. So they get that message a lot. Definitely, definitely. Lynn, this time of year, parenting can be such a fluster clucks. You've come to the right place. I'm Lynn Lyons, and I've been treating anxious families for over 30 years. I'm Lynn's sister-in-law and co-host Robin Hudson. Join us for Fluster Clucks, a podcast for parents who worry. Wait, that's everybody. Yeah, these last few years have felt like one long anxiety attack for so many. Why do you think parents are always surprised that a podcast about anxiety relates to them, even if no one in their house has an anxiety disorder? Well, worry is human. Everyone does it. And anxiety shows up when we face uncertainty. All the parenting tips you've taught me have been essential. I love to break it down into skills we need to manage worry in our families. We've covered so many topics, depression, burnout, meltdowns, perfectionism. Don't forget scary mothers-in-law. Right, but of course that's not my mother-in-law. Because that's my mother. And a listener. As a psychotherapist, I like to teach parents and kids how to respond to everyday moments in healthy ways. Managing anxiety really can be taught. It really can. And I'll even tell you what to say. We talk about serious stuff, but without being too serious. Anxiety wants everything serious. Anxiety doesn't stand a chance when we're laughing, even about the tough stuff. Feel like you're the martyr in your family? You're not alone. Hey, this is Joanne. And Brie. And we're from the No Guilt Mom podcast. Brie, we talk to a lot of moms. Yeah, we sure do. And if you're a mom who has a to-do list that is so massive that you get overwhelmed and you shut down. Or if you fall into the habit of doing everything for everyone and don't know how to change it, we can help you become a No Guilt Mom. We're going to take you from family martyr to family model. That's role model. So that you role model the behavior that you want to see out of your kids. You're going to go from being tired and overwhelmed to energized and guilt free. Every week, you'll get actionable strategies that you can implement right away from the experts that we interview and from us. We also have a whole lot of fun. So check out the No Get Mom podcast everywhere you listen to your favorite shows. How do you parent from possibility instead of fear? Well, that is one of my favorite chapters in the book is talking about that. I'm a yes person. I try to say yes to everything. And I've gotten really good at noticing when fear is driving my decision making. Because for me, like I even feel it in my body. It, mm. it feels kind of like tightness in my gut and kind of a heavy weight. I know it so well now that it stops me. And I'll say, okay, wait a minute, Deb, what is going on here? And I consciously make myself choose the other option, even if it feels incredibly scary, or, you know, there's so much uncertainty, I think with fear, we feel, at least we know what the outcome is going to be, you know, we feel like we have some control when we're choosing to play it safe. And oftentimes choosing the fear based option is feel safer, right? I'm not Mm going to pull my kid out of school, because at least I know the problems here, and we'll just keep working through it. And so, you know, moving to Amsterdam, which we did, it's been almost five years ago, was an opportunity through my husband's job. But that was really the biggest example of me saying yes to possibility because it was terrifying. And I was like, we have nothing to lose at this point. We've left three schools in three years. This isn't working. And 
we need to try something new. We all deserve that. And let's just see what happens. And that has worked out really well. And it's just something I continue to do is just recognize that fear and then try to figure out what is underneath it and then choose the opposite thing. Yes. Yeah. I love that. And I love your example or note that the feeling that you have of fear, like in your gut and recognizing your body's responses to those things, like recognizing, I know for me, I like, I know exactly what anxiety feels like in my stomach. I know exactly, like I feel it coming on. I can ident- identify it. And I think when you are in these places of parenting and difficult situations that come up over and over and over again, you probably stop listening to your body at some point, because again, going back to that place of that like intersection of denial, CIA level secrecy and aggressive fix it mode, you probably stop listening to your body's own cues at some point. And sometimes maybe, you know, the difference between like your instincts and your intuition versus what maybe a school district is telling you, you should put in the IEP or something like that. So I love that idea of also checking in with your gut and with what like really feels right and feels like it might be the best thing, even if it is the hard and scary thing. Yeah. And I will say that it can be hard to do that if you're not taking any time for yourself. Yes. Which is, you know, I'm a huge, huge, huge proponent of self-care as I know you are. And that is, you know, for me to have even a few minutes in the morning, I do yoga in my jammies in the living room every morning, but just like having that moment of stillness, I can't ignore what my body's telling me because that's all I'm doing in that moment. And I think so many parents, especially when you're in the thick of it, and, you know, many parents with younger kids, especially who are differently wired, they just feel like it's they're in constant reaction mode. And it's very difficult to find any time for yourself. And if you're not taking that time, then it's really easy to just ignore anything that's going on in your body and just keep moving, you know, keep pushing ahead. Right, right. That makes so much sense. And I talk about living reactive versus proactive, you know, in a lot of different capacities, but I haven't talked about it in the capacity of working with a differently wired child and what that might be like on a day to day basis. And I think that, you know, your point is so powerful that you do need to have those moments and they literally can be moments. It's not like, you know, if you can book an hour for self-care, book an hour, if you can book a day, book a day, but it might just be like five minutes of yoga in the living room in your pajamas, but that can make all the difference. Absolutely. I'm a runner. So that's always been kind of my meditation thing. But for some reason, like a year and a half ago, I started doing yoga and that has kept me, I, I don't know how I would have gone through the last yeah. year and a half without it because nice. it's been a pretty wild ride around here. And it's just given me a little something just for me and a little bit of peace, you know, yeah. that has helped me stay mostly calm. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> mostly. That's yeah. such a great tip. And you have throughout the book, you have really great examples of different ways that you manage self-care and that you make sure that you get it in. And even when it's in the context of working, I mean, the, what we talked about at the beginning about like going and working at a cafe, it's not the same as going to a spa, but you've built parameters around your work and around things that bring you joy so that when you're like, oh, I'm going to work on a Saturday, you're excited because I get to go to a new cafe and I'm going to get the mocha and I'm going to sit in the corner and it's going to be cozy. And I think that just that it's like self-care within, you know, managing your life and managing that, like you're going to work on the weekends because you're homeschooling during the week. And that's a perfect example of building self-care just into the routines and things that have to get done. I think that's a really helpful perspective as well. One more thing I want to touch on before we wrap, I would love for you to address some language that supports and doesn't shame atypical kids that those of us who don't have the experience that you have and want to be sensitive and aware might find helpful. So what are some pointers that you can give us when we're talking to other families and maybe kids who learn differently than ours? Well, that is such a great question. And I never get asked that question. I would say that, you know, in terms of specific language, I'm not a fan of words that are kind of medicalized what's happening with Mm. our kids. And so which is one of the reasons why I use the word difference. I don't use disorder. Yeah. And you know, there are people who have neuro differences that are classified as disorders who may 
feel differently and say, well, it is a disorder. It really impacts me and that's fine. But I really do want to push forward this idea that this is a difference that's, you know, I think disorder has a negative connotation to it. There's a lot of language specifically surrounding the autism community that talks about, you know, again, medicalizing it like it's an epidemic. And, you know, this is a real epidemic. I'll read that in articles all the time. And I actually talk in the book about an article that I read that was talking about the risks associated with, you know, having a child on the spectrum. And I read that to Asher a couple of years ago. And he was like, what do you mean the risks? What do they think? It is a disease. He was just, and I was like, oh yeah. Like, you know, there's just a lot of language that reinforces very subtly the idea that there's something wrong here. You know, we're looking for a cure. We're trying to fix this. And so, you know, just being conscious of language like that and using words like difference, or I just actually interviewed the executive director of a eye to eye, which is an ADHD mentoring organization. And he said that he uses the word identify versus diagnose. He's like, you know, and I was like, Ooh, that's a good one. You know, he's like, yeah, I was identified as having some learning differences, you know, again, not medicalized. Yeah. I had heard a couple of years ago in reference to children with autism to, instead of saying, oh, so-and-so is autistic, to say so-and-so has autism. And so that it's like their primary identifier, but to say that they have this instead of they are this. I don't know if that's one that you've heard, but that's something that... Yeah, and I will say that even that, there's a lot of controversy on language within the autistic community. Okay. So many people actually prefer the... Opposite. label first. So yeah. Oh, interesting. So they I thought I was getting it right. I thought I was ahead well, of the curve. <laughs> I don't think there is a right. Okay. There really isn't. And I've read books on both sides written yeah. by people on the spectrum. So there's no, you know, I think being as sensitive as possible, you know, I typically say an autistic person. Okay. Um, be, yeah. Anyway, that's a tricky one. Another tricky one that I'll just say I'm reading a lot more about is this idea of high functioning autism. So now that Asperger's is no longer in the DSM, which was surprising to me, I was very surprised to read that in your book. I didn't know that. Yeah, they stopped like giving that diagnosis, uh, maybe five years ago, or so maybe a little more. And so now people and in fact, now I think there's like, level A level two, or level one, level two, level three autism, which I don't even know what those mean. But A lot of people use high functioning, and that is really something that offends many, many autistic people, because obviously that means there are low functioning people. What does that mean? You know, so it's tricky. I think, you know, people want to be respectful and try to get it right. Just be open Mm -hmm. to asking, you know, ask people who are on the spectrum, ask people what they would prefer, and just be aware that the language can be kind of charged. And The other thing I was just going to add is that one of the things I think a lot of parents like me struggle with is when people question, what are you going to do about college? What about, you know, they start kind of questioning choices that we're making that we've made very thoughtfully to support who our child is. So if there's something I could add to this is just for parents who are raising typical kids, be more curious in a supportive way rather than a judgy way, you know, like. So that's something because those questions can trigger us into our fear cycle all over again. (laughs) You know, we're already concerned about those things. (laughs) Right. You don't need to remind me that I'm already freaking out about that. (laughs) Exactly. I love that. Thank you. That's so helpful. I think that everyone wants to do their best to be supportive. And it's so easy to say the wrong thing or put your foot in your mouth. And so I love your advice of just ask someone, you know, like, I want to make sure I'm not being insensitive? Is there a way that I could refer this that is most comfortable for your family or whatever? I just think like having open communication about it, rather than ignoring or tiptoeing around things, I think can be really helpful. Yeah, I think it's the same when you're talking about race or, um, you know, different ways of being a gender nonconformist or, you know, all kinds of ways, just have an open mind and talk about things. Right? Yeah, definitely. Okay, so final question. In what ways are you a shameless mom? Oh, goodness, I am shameless every day. (laughs) You are, you are. (laughs) Yeah, I think I just, you know, I keep it pretty real in my household. And I'm open about my vulnerabilities pretty much to anybody. And I don't certainly have moments where I'm like, well, that was not a good parenting moment. But I own up to it. And I talk about it. I talk it through with my kid. I try to use it as an example to support other parents so they can stop beating themselves up. So 
I think just kind of putting it all out there is probably the best example of how I'm a shameless mom. I love that. I would also give you a lot of credit for being a shameless mom in terms of sharing your experience so openly. And really through the book, you have provided a tool that will impact so many lives. And I love that you said you one of the kind of secondary groups that you were considering when writing it was teachers, educators, parents of typical children, because I think that there's so much for everyone to learn in here. And I think that you were really shameless in the way that you shared so many experiences, but also shared a lot of tools that really apply to everyone. It's, it's definitely not just a resource for parents of differently wired kids. That said, if you are a parent of a differently wired child, I think you will find a lot of comfort in the stories that Debbie shares and maybe some enthusiasm around some of the practical tips and just things that you can kind of immediately start to shift in terms of your mindset and little changes you might be able to make to feel like you are moving in a direction that feels positive and powerful for you as you navigate everything that lays ahead. So I just so, so appreciate this work, Debbie. And I really want to get this book into hands of many people. I I said before we started recording, so after the book comes out on June 12th, I believe this recording will go live that same week. I will be ordering like 10 copies to disperse to friends who just, I was so touched by so many things in the book where I was like, I have to need a copy for this person and for this person. <laughs> and like, <laughs> everyone's going to get this as a gift. <laughs> so <I bet. laughs> It's such a great resource. So thank you. Thank you for putting it out into the world. Before, oh, thank you so much. Oh, you're welcome. Before I let you go, tell us where we can find you, where we can find the book, where we can connect with you and also the podcast. Best place for most things is tiltparenting.com. That's the home for the online community, all the archived episodes, and I do weekly episodes. I'm not up to over 200 like some people, <laughs> but I'm up to over 100 now, so I've got Yay. a lot of podcasts on there. So tiltparenting.com. I also, if you go to tiltparenting.com slash differentlywired, you can read a lot more about the book and order from there as well. And, and it will be available at all your kind of usual suspects in terms of Amazon, Barnes and Noble, independent bookstores. And I'll also be going on a book tour the second half of June. So if you go to my book page, you'll find out which cities I'll be in, which I don't know at this moment exactly where, but at least six cities I'll be stopping by. Nice. And Seattle's one of them. Is that right? Seattle, I, I know for sure. Okay. Yeah, June 15th, actually. Oh, and you emailed me about that. I need to get it on my calendar. Yes. Are you going to be at Third Place Books? Third Place Books in Ravenna. Yeah, I'm okay. so excited to be in the same room as humans instead of in my office <laughs> in Amsterdam by myself. And uh, yeah, and social on my media. calendar right now so that I can be there. I'm so Yay! excited. Awesome, awesome. I'm going to bring friends too. Yes. <laughs> That's awesome. And yeah, I would just say social media, if you're into that, I'm at all the usual places, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, all at Tilt Parenting. So I'm easy to find. Perfect. Okay. So I will have everything just mentioned linked up in the show notes so that you guys can find all of that and connect with Debbie and get the book and find the podcast and all that great stuff. So Debbie, thank you so much for being here. I'm so excited about your book and I appreciate you being here, taking the time to share everything that you have going on. And the next time you write a book, you got to come back on the show. (laughs) I don't know if I have another one in me, but thank you so much for having me on for this one. This was a great conversation with you. Good. Thank you so much, Debbie. Thank you so much for spending time with me today in the Shameless Mom Academy. I really, really appreciate you being here. If this is your first time listening to the show, know that we are here every Monday and Wednesday with a brand new episode. Make sure you subscribe to the show so you get all episodes as soon as they're released and you never miss an episode. You can do that by going to shamelessmom.com forward slash review that will drop you into Apple Podcasts where you can click on the little subscribe button. While you're there, please also rate and review the show. Let me know what you loved. Let me know in what way you are a shameless mom. And remember, shameless mom of the week nominations come from our reviews. So if you want to be nominated, you got to leave a review. So make sure you leave a review over at shamelessmom.com forward slash review. And lastly, share this episode with other shameless moms in your lives. The way the show grows and the way we build our community is by you all spreading the word. So take a screenshot of this episode, share it on social media, tag me at the Shameless Mom Academy on Instagram or Facebook. I will make sure I reply as quickly as I possibly can, sending you lots of loves and shout outs. And I can't wait to connect with you there. Until next time, have a great day. And remember, no matter what you do today, make sure you do it shamelessly.
Real truth alert, pregnancy, birth, and having a baby isn't all sunshine and rainbows. I wish it were, but the reality is that many people struggle and suffer through this time without the right help or even knowing what they're dealing with. I'm perinatal psychologist, Dr. Katayun Kayani, also known as Dr. Kat. My podcast, Mom in Mind, aims to shine a light on the difficult reality that so many hopeful and new parents experience and raise the volume on how we can better support mental health, which is a big part of our overall health. Episodes include personal stories from people who have healed through things like pregnancy and postpartum anxiety, depression, PTSD, and so much more. I also talk with specialists and experts who explain and educate on these conditions. All of this to support parents to know that they are not alone, that healing is possible, and there are resources that can help you today. Listen into Mom and Mind and walk with me through the world of perinatal mental health.